Well, last week, let me, let me do a quick summary of what we, what we learned last week from Jonah chapter 1 and 2. For those of you who were here, it will be review. For those of you who weren't here, uh, you'll be caught up to kind of where we are in the story of Jonah. Uh, it's a popular story. Most of us are probably familiar with it. Grew up hearing the story. We have the kids' book um, and are familiar uh, with Jonah. God told Jonah to go, 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 but Jonah said no, 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 uh, and, and uh, went the opposite direction that God had called him and was swallowed by a great fish, in a sense came to his senses and went to Nineveh and preached. And so that's the basis of the story of Jonah, but we pulled out a few specific observations uh, from Jonah chapter 1 and saw basically a, a, a good definition, a good visible illustration of what sin is is. And sin, as we saw in the book of Jonah, uh, really even today could be summarized in the phrase running from God. That sin is when we run uh, from what God has for us. And for some of us, uh, we said the name of the sermon series is Jonah the Gospel and you or Jonah and the Gospel and me. It's our story. And if we place ourselves in the story and we ask ourselves uh, about sin in our own life, and if we're honest, many of us run from the Lord as well. We may run openly, as Jonah did. He, he went to Joppa, jumped on a boat, and headed for Tarshish, which we said last week is the exact opposite direction from Nineveh, where God had called him to go. And so some of us run very openly, uh, where others of us, it may be more of a subtle thing. It may be not that we've openly run from God or maybe we ran from God for a certain season of our life and now we may, at least externally, may be seen as if we're following God's plan, but maybe in our hearts, there's an area in our heart that we've said, God, you can have all of my life, you can be in charge of my family and my friends and my vocation, even my money, but there's this one area of my life that I'm, I'm going to hold on to and I'm going to be in charge of that. Maybe that's the way that we're running. We're running from the Lord uh, in, in a specific area. Maybe there's, a, there's something in our life that God wants to deal with and we hear from Him and we know that He's told us uh, to come to Him, to not run from Him in that area of our life. But we, we tell the Lord, not now, uh, you know, maybe later. Let me hold on to this sin just a little bit longer. And so there's really many ways to run from, from God. And Jonah just did it very blat blatant and open. He just chose to uh, even tell the sailors on the ship uh, that he was running from God when the storm came that the Lord threw upon Jonah and the sailors. Uh, Jonah chapter 1 tells us that he had told them that he was running from God. For, 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 for some of us, it's much more subtle. Uh, but we not only got a good picture of what sin is through Jonah's life, but we also got a great picture of God's grace. And we saw that grace could be defined as God relentlessly pursuing his greatest love, and that's his people. Uh, that God relentlessly uh, pursued Jonah, to, not to get him back, but to bring him back. That he threw the storm upon him. That he appointed the fish uh, to swallow him. All these things that God did in the midst of Jonah running from him was really a picture of God's grace. And one of the things I love about the Bible... When I was a young Christian uh, and just beginning to investigate the Scriptures, I love the consistency from Genesis to Revelation of God's unfolding story of redemption. 
and knowing that the Bible was written over a period of thousands of years by many different authors, but yet seeing the same story of God's love for His people in spite of our sin and in spite of our continued efforts to run from Him is what continued to grip me more and more. And so we see that in the book of Jonah. And really, the book of Jonah is the same story that's told really in every book of the Bible. That God is calling for Himself, building for Himself, pursuing with a passionate love His people, uh, even though we often run from Him. It's really the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is that God loves us in spite of our sin, and He pursues us to bring us into that relationship, the greatest gift we could ever get in meeting our deepest need uh, through the work of Christ. I think we see that, and we touched on it last week, but I think you'll see today even more, a greater picture of how the story of Jonah is not just our story, it's not just God's story, but it's the story of Christ and His love for His people and why He came to pursue those who were running from Him. God gives Jonah a second chance today. We'll see in our passage this morning that God gives him a second chance, so to say, to go to Nineveh. He reiterates his command to go and preach. And so let's look at Jonah chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, uh, I think it's printed in the PowerPoint. There it is. Um, And then also I saw an insert in the the worship guides. When I was at South Point, we like to call the bulletins the worship guides because they guided us in our worship. And many people at South Point would take their worship guides and put them on the uh, refrigerator through the week and refer back to the songs and refer back to the readings as a way to continue to guide their hearts in worship. So if I call it a worship guide, uh, it's because that's what we called it and and what I really mean is the bulletin. So there's an insert in there to help guide you in your worship. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage and then go back and refer to it. We're just going to kind of read chapter 3. As we go through it uh, this morning, and if you're like the kind of person that likes to know the outline and know where we're going, they tell you in your college 101 communication class to tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So here's what I'm going to tell you. We're going to look at this morning the method, then we're going to look at the message, and then we're going to look at the mayhem that pursues from the method and from the message. And so three M's there. So first, let's look at the first three verses of chapter 3 where God reiterates his call to Jonah to go and we'll see the method, uh, not Jonah's method, so to say, but God's method through Jonah. So chapter 3 of Jonah, the first three verses tells us this. Uh, And to catch you up, just to make sure you remember or if you were not here, Jonah ran from the Lord The Lord hurled a great storm upon the ship. They threw Jonah overboard to save themselves. He's swallowed by a fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days. And it says that he, in a sense, came to his senses. And then, to me, the greatest verse in the entire book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 8, says, this is Jonah in his prayer, that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that might be theirs. And so Jonah, in a sense, realizes that he's forfeited the grace that might be his in, in God, in the relationship that God has with him as he's basically pursued the idol of self. And he's done what he wanted to do and not what God's called him to do. And so here, the, the Lord, uh, the scriptures actually say, vomited Jonah up on the shore. So Jonah's out of the belly of the fish now. And, and here we pick up in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city and three days journey 
uh, in its breadth. And so uh, we're going to do like we did last week and pull out a couple observations from our passage and then see how those apply to our life. And I think, I think the first thing we see here uh, is that what God has called Jonah to do, we talked about it a little bit last week, but is again, seems to be seemingly irrational. God has called Jonah one man to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, uh, the, the most powerful empire of its time. And God tells Jonah to go and preach out against the city. Now, if you remember from last week, we know from our history books that this is a point in time when Assyria is about to conquer uh, uh, the Israelites. And so the Assyrians had basically set themselves up as the enemy of God. Uh, and they, they um, uh, were the people of Israel feared the Ninevites. They feared the Assyrians because they knew that they were a ruthless people who often when they conquered a certain uh, other nation, they would kill all the men and they would take the women and the children captive. And so these are the people that God called Jonah to go and preach against. And so we see here that God sent Jonah into a situation that seemed irrational. He's to go to this city where these people have set themselves up to be the enemy of God. And he's to stand on a street corner and he's to preach out against them. Now it's interesting to me that not only does God send Jonah to the city where they've set themselves up against his people, but God sends one person. He doesn't send... uh, a Navy SEAL reconnaissance group. He doesn't send um, uh, a group of assassins. He doesn't even send Jonah with his family. He sends Jonah. Seemingly irrational thing to do. The second observation I make as I look at it is that we see that God sent Jonah not just to a city that were enemies, but to a city of people that were lost. And this might seem obvious. They're not Israelites. They're Ninevites. Uh, so they don't worship the God that Jonah worships. But when you study the, the culture of the Assyrians, I counted in just a quick survey on the Internet over 60 different gods that the Assyrians had. They had a god for war. They had a god for fertility. They had a, a god for the ocean. They had a god for the sky. Uh, they had a, uh, uh, a god for war. And what God, was, what God was telling Jonah to do was to go out and preach against the wickedness. Go out and preach against these other gods and say to the Ninevites that he is the true God. That he is the creator, not the created. That he is the God who's created all of these other gods. And I can't help but think of the story in the book of Acts where Paul is traveling from city to city And he comes to Mars Hill, to Athens, and they have, as he walks into the city, they have uh, a statue for uh, Apollos, and then they have a statue for Aphrodite, and they have a statue for all of these different gods. And at the end of all these statues, they have a statue that says, to the unknown God. And what Paul does is he walks into the center, and he says, I can see that you are religious people, and you have all of these uh, temples and all of these... uh, uh, Places of worship for all of these gods. But then you have this one statue to the unknown God. And let me tell you who this unknown God is. For in him we live and move and breathe. And he is the God who has created all of these other gods. 
And that's what God had called Jonah to do, to go and tell the Ninevites that all these gods that they were worshiping, their God for fertility and their God of the ocean and of the sea and of the sky and of, the, uh, uh, and of war, uh, is not the true God, but the God of the Israelites, the people that they have set themselves up against, is the true God. Well, what does this mean for us today? I, I could really see many applications, but three that I wanted to note was, first of all, I think we see again that God cares uh, about people. And if God cares about people, if he cares enough about Jonah to give him a second chance, in our passage this morning it says God came and again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We see that God is a God of second chances who gives Jonah a second chance to hear his word. And God cares about Jonah, not just perfect people. God just doesn't care about saints, but he cares about sinners. Remember, Jonah had given God the hand and said, look, I, I don't really have time for you. Thanks, God. Here, here's the picture. God comes to Jonah, says, go to Nineveh, preach out against their wickedness. And Jonah says, thanks a lot, God, but I don't have time for that. See you later. Chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. If God cared enough for Jonah to give him a second chance, even after he had given the hand to God, God cares enough about us. To pursue us, to bring about those storms of life to throw upon us. Uh, to, not to get us back, but to bring us back. A second application or implication I think that we could see from this passage this morning is that God not only cares about His people, He not only cares about the person of Jonah enough to give Him a second chance, but God cares about everybody. God cares about all people that He sent Jonah to go and preach against the false gods that the Ninevites were worshiping. Why? Because God knew that those who cling to, earth, to, to worthless idols forfeit the grace that might be theirs. God knew that the, God, the Assyrian God of fertility, the Assyrian God of the ocean, could not give them uh, the grace that they needed, could not meet their deepest need to provide for them a way to be reconciled to their Creator. We said last week that often people think the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are completely different. And the God of the Old Testament is just concerned about the Israelites. And the God of the New Testament is, just con or is concerned about all people. And the God of the Old Testament is one of wrath and judgment. And the God of the New Testament is grace and mercy. That could not be any farther from the truth. Because we see right here that God is a God of grace and mercy and love for all people. That he's sending Jonah to go to the people who have set themselves up against his people. Why? To wipe them out and destroy them? No, to say, look, I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you, and I want you to come to me. God cares about all people. Therefore, I think we should as well. You know, Jesus, when he had to summarize the entire Old Testament, when they, the scribes and the Pharisees came to him and said, you know, we've studied the law, and obviously you studied the law. You know the Bible, you know. Uh, how could we summarize all of the laws up? Jesus said, love God and love people. Love God and love people. And when he said that, he didn't say, love God and love other people who love God also. Love God and love people who are just like you. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. One, because... He had his own agenda. But two, Jonah was a racist. 
He didn't like Ninevites. He didn't like Assyrians. And so when God said, go and tell those people that I love them and the, the idols that they cling to will not give them the grace that they need. They cannot know their creator through these false gods that they're worshiping. Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want them to know the God that he knew. He didn't want them to be saved. What he was hoping would happen when that phone rang, when the bat phone rang from God, the direct line that he had, and God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He was hoping the second part of that sentence would be, and tell them I'm going to wipe them out because they're evil people. And Jonah would have said, I can do that. But God said, go and tell them that I love them. And that they need to turn from their wicked ways. They need to turn from following those false idols and gods and turn to me because I love them. God cares about his people, Jonah, enough to send a storm and a fish. God cares about all people enough to send Jonah to preach the gospel. And I think what we also see is that God uses sinful people to reach sinful people. God uses one person, Jonah, who we'll see in just a minute, is not a very exciting preacher. I've preached some pretty bad sermons in my few years in ministry, but Jonah's sermon's pretty bad. It's not very, there's no video clips, there's no exciting stories. And God uses the weakness and the foolishness of a sinful man who just a few days earlier was running from God to convert a whole city. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that God chooses the foolish things of the world to humble the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to humble the strong. And God uses a sinful man, Jonah, to conquer an entire city with the power of the gospel. If we want to be used by God, we need to see our need for Him. See, Jonah came to the point where it was pretty obvious in the belly of the, de- in the, belly of the fish Probably the first day he's thinking, okay, I could kick and make the fish uncomfortable and I'll get out of the situation. But by the third day he realized he needed God to do something big. He needed God to intervene. And it was at that point when he realized he needed the Lord. He needed God to get out of that situation. That's the point where God began to use him. Jonah came to the point where he knew this has to be a God thing. This has to be a God thing. And I think we could do ourselves well to come to that point, too, to realize that whatever situation we're struggling with, whatever storm's been thrown upon us, that if we would come to the point that it's got to be a God thing that brought this into my life, and it's got to be a God thing that will get me out of it. If we could come to that realization, we'd realize that God wants to use us. And God wants to use our brokenness and our suffering to reach those who are broken and suffering. We see not only God's method, but we see the message. In our passage this morning, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Go, uh, arise, go, and go to Nineveh, the great city. Uh, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And then chapter 4 says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey in. So he's about halfway into the city. He goes to basically the city center. And he calls out, he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown or overturned. So there's his exciting message. All right. He says, in 40 days, the city will be overthrown. And what happens? The people kill him. No. Says, and the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them 
to the least of them. Jonah was not an exciting preacher, but he preached the message that God gave him. He didn't go and say, look, you guys have set yourself up against the Israelites and don't kill us. We're good people. And by the way, God loves you. That sounds familiar to a lot of sermons I hear today. Be good people and God loves you. But that's not what Jonah says. Jonah says, stop believing in the gods that you're worshiping. You got to think that somewhere in there, we don't have all that Jonah said, but you got to think that somewhere in there, the prayer that he prayed when he came to his senses, he probably shared with the Israelites, and he, I mean the, the, the Ninevites, and he said, look, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that might be theirs. Guess what? Your God of the ocean, your God of the sky, your God of fertility cannot meet your deepest need. You cannot be reconciled to your creator because those gods are created, not the creator themselves. You want to know who created the sea? You want to know who created the sky? It's my God. And guess what? He can get you out of the belly of a fish. Jonah's message was that God is sovereign. He learned that as he was go- he tried to run, he got on a fish, he tried to swim. I mean, he got on a boat, he tried to swim, he was sw- followed by swallowed by a fish. Jonah tried it his own way and he realized God is sovereign, he's in control of all things, but yet he's a God of mercy. So therefore you must repent, you must turn from your wicked ways, you must turn from your idols that you're giving yourself to and worship the Creator and not the created. Well, what can we learn from this today? I think there's a lot to learn from Jonah's message. It's the message of the gospel. It's our story. The message of the gospel is not that Christianity is cool, not that you should be a Christian because all your... uh, Problems will go away. Don't come to Christ if you've got problems and you think, well, if I just become a Christian, everything will work out. That's not the gospel. That's not what God promises. I heard someone share the gospel the other day, and they said, you should become a Christian so you don't have to be scared to die, and so you'll be happy. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, that's not the gospel. That's not what, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Scriptures teach that God is sovereign, that He's in control. He's created all things. And he's a God of mercy. And he's a God of grace. But the only way we receive that grace, the only way we receive that mercy is when we recognize our need for him. You know, that's what's so great about the gospel. And that's what's so great about being a Christian. The only way you're led into the club is that you admit you're not worthy to be in it. The only requirement to become a Christian is to admit that you don't deserve to be one. That's the message of the gospel. It's this message that Jonah gave to the Ninevites. It's the message that we have today. So how how do we get there? How do we receive that mercy? How do we receive that grace? How do we go from the point where we're trusting in the things of the world to trust in the things of God? The Bible calls that repentance. We turn from our sin, we turn from our idols, and we turn to Christ. I said last week, I think one of the greatest And most dangerous idols in our culture today is the family. And I realized I didn't really clarify that. Someone came up to me afterward and said, what did you mean by that? And I realized that that's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing to say. But you know, Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and you hate your father, and I forgot that it said this until I read it again this week, and it says, unless you hate your children, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. 
So what did he mean by that? Are we to hate our mothers? For some of us, that might be easy, <laughs> you know. But for most of us, I mean, I love my mom. I love my children. So Jesus says, I must hate them. Well, I can't be his disciple. What he means is that our love for him, our passion for him, our desire, our commitment to him is so strong that any other commitment, any other relationship, any other thing in this world would be so much less that it feels like a hatred, a willingness to leave behind. Now, the Scriptures tell us we're to love our mother and father and children and care for them. But the only way we can do that is if we love first our Father, our Heavenly Father. I can't be a good father. I can't be a good husband if my idol is my wife or my children. Because guess what? If I look for my wife or my children to give me the things that I need, I'm trusting in worthless idols and forfeiting the grace that might be mine in Christ. Only when I look to the giver of grace, the giver of life, can that flow through me into my family, into my wife, into my children. And so Jonah's message is the message to us today, to repent from those things. Power, for some of us it's our job. And the power that we have when we step into that office and people do what we say. They obey. I can remember coming home one time when I was married, uh, when, when I was first married, and I had asked uh, my wife to do something, and uh, she didn't do it. And uh, that kind of surprised me, you know, when I was first married, that I would ask her to do something, she wouldn't do it. Uh, and it was something simple, you know, I think it was, had to do with, like, how we arrange the forks in the dishwasher. There's a certain way, you know, that forks should go, and, and the silver and all that, and she didn't do it. So I asked her again, you know, I thought maybe she forgot. And then I asked her the third time, and she still didn't do it. And I remember it was kind of, you know, one of our early fights. We've had a couple of them, um, but one of our early ones. And I said, you know, when I, when I go to my job and I ask somebody to do it, they do it. And I come home and you don't do it. And she said, that's because I don't work for you. <laughs> You're not my boss. And I realized, you know, I realized that. Um, and I have no idea what that had to do with my sermon. But anyways, only when I love Christ first and I serve my wife. And, and I don't look to her to do what I want her to do or to say what I want to, want to say. Or only when I don't look to her to meet my deepest needs, the power that I have, the authority that I have, I don't need to get that affirmation from her. When I look to Christ to meet those things, well, there's the grace. There's the mercy. Not the family. Not our job. Not our money. Not success. Not other people's perception of us. For the believer, for the unbeliever, the message is the same. The message today is the message that Jonah gave the Israelites to turn from worthless idols and to turn to Christ. Let me just finish with this. The people of Nineveh believed God and they called for uh, a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. And then the king of Nineveh, which is the king of Assyria, removed his robe. He put on sackcloth. He declared every person in the city of Nineveh, to repent of their sin. Verse 10, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, and He relented the disaster that He had promised upon them. The greatest conversion ever. You know, it's interesting to me that anytime I talk to unbelievers, and sometimes when I talk even to Christians and we talk about the story of Jonah, they always want to talk about the fish. They go, I just, I don't know if I can believe that, you know, lived in the belly of a fish for three days. That's just, I mean, that's just 
Unbelievable. I don't know if I can believe that. Well, let me tell you, Jonah surviving in the belly of the fish for three days is not the greatest miracle that happens in the book of Jonah. The greatest miracle that happens in the book of Jonah is that an entire city, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people's hearts are changed and they repent from their evil ways, from the idols that they've trusted, and they turn to God. The word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne. He removed his robe. He, he covered himself with sackcloth. And he issued and proclaimed and published throughout all of Nineveh a degree, a decree. Let everyone turn from their evil ways and from their violence. Who knows? God may relent and turn from us, from his fierce anger, that we may not perish. That's the greatest miracle, that God conquered an entire nation. The Assyrians had set themselves up against the, uh, the, the, the Ninevites, and Assyrians had set themselves up against the Israelites. God doesn't send the Navy SEALs. He doesn't send a team of covert operatives to go and wipe out the Ninevites. He sends one man who doesn't want to go, who runs from God and preaches the gospel in the entire city of Nineveh is converted. You see, God's in the business of changing hearts. That's what He does. That's His job. That's the story of the gospel. God is, how is God building for Himself a people? One person at a time. Changing the hearts. That's the motto here. Changed hearts, changed lives, changed communities. It's, it's, it's amazing. I read that when I came last week and I thought... You know, that hasn't changed in 12 years, 13 years. And I thought, well, of course it hasn't changed. <laughs> it hasn't changed in 5,000 years. Guess what God's motto was when he kicked uh, Adam and Eve out of the garden? It really was his motto before the God, that, really. When he said, be fruitful and multiply, what he meant is take those hearts of yours and make a difference. Fill the earth with God's glory. And when Adam and Eve sinned, he said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fix that problem. And every time a heart's changed, a life's going to get changed. Every time a life's going to get changed, a community's going to get changed. That's what the Bible's about. Every story, every prophet, every priest, every king, every suffering servant in the Scriptures is about Christ. If you don't believe me, let me finish with this passage right here in the book of Matthew. <clears throat> Jesus says this about Jonah. I believe Jonah was a historical character primarily because Jesus said he was. And if Jesus said it, I believe it. Here's what he says. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered. This is Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Then Jesus, or then some of the scribes came uh, and said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Uh, this is fairly late in Jesus' ministry. He'd already raised people from the dead. He'd fed 5,000. You know, he'd walked on water. And they go, we, we want to see a sign. And Jesus didn't say, well, I've done a few. Here's what he says. He says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for signs, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And you've got to think they go, Jonah? And we were talking about today. And he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with generations to condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What's he saying there? Jesus is saying, look, when the day of judgment comes, there's going to be thousands and thousands of Ninevites 
who will be in judgment of those who did not receive the gospel, who did not repent from their worthless idols and cannot receive the grace that could be theirs. And how do they receive that grace? Through the person and the work of Christ. Let me finish with two questions, just asking you this. What's God telling you? Do you hear His voice? You know, Jonah heard the voice of the Lord. Now, at first he ran, but at least he heard it. I think many of us are so busy in life with our families and our jobs and our toys that we can't even hear the voice of God. Can you hear the voice of God? And if you hear the voice of God, how are you responding? Are you running from the Lord? Or are you receiving the grace that might be yours in Christ? One last verse. This is my, probably my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. What's our deepest need? For something to be done with our sin. Repent, therefore, and turn, that your sins may be blotted out. And then verse 20. That times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus. You want times of refreshing? You want to receive grace and mercy? It comes through repentance, and it comes through Christ.